pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this time to worship you. God, uh, just like Kayla was reading from your word, we just love you. God, you're perfect. God, just to look on you and just to think about you is amazing. To think about how perfect you are, to think about you creating the mountains we see, the trees we see, God, just to see the sky and the sun and the moon, God, the universe, God, all the animals and the wildlife, God, that we see, just to think about you and to think about your creation, to think about the fact that you created us in your image, that you loved us that much, just to think about that, God, just makes us want to worship. In our daily lives, God, when we go out and we see your world, we see other people who are created in your image, God, we are just, God, we are spurred on to live for you, to live a holy life before you. And the fact that we failed at that at the beginning, and God, we failed at that every single day, yet you died on the cross so that we could have a right relationship with you, that in this life we could continue on living instead of dying for eternity. Thank you, Lord for this life that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Well, I just pray that you would be glorified tonight as we read your word. Lord, I pray that, that you would just be lifted up, you'd be made much of, and that everything else, God, would just fall in the background because you just look so amazing in our eyes when we leave here tonight. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So, uh, funny story. Um, Here's how the text message went. Kenny texted me and said, uh, I was planning on speaking tomorrow night. Are you good with that? And I said, dude, yeah, go ahead, man. You got something to say. You got something on your heart. I'm good with that. That's okay with me. And um, so he's like, I was like, so you going to help me make the schedule tomorrow night after church? He's like, so he was like, oh, you know, I already made the schedule, and you can tweak it however you want. So he sends me the schedule, and it's got me speaking tonight and him speaking next Wednesday. So I texted him back, and I said, so the only, you know, you edited it where, you know, the only change you made was that you're speaking tomorrow and that I'm speaking next Wednesday. And he just resent the schedule again in a, you know, a screenshot. You know, it was kind of closer up and just better quality. I still didn't get the fact that I was preaching tonight. And so Kenny texted us uh, at about 530, said, hey, I'm going to be late to the church tonight. So I went into the foyer, and I called him and said, hey, man, uh, do you need me to preach tonight? I don't know how late you're going to be. And he was like, are well, you not going to preach tonight anyway? I was like, I mean, I, you told me you was going to speak. You know, he was like, did I say that? And I was like, I'm pretty sure you said that. And there, so he's like, I'm sorry, man. That was my fault. We miscommunicated. You know, I'm sorry. I was like, like no, nah, man, it's, it's all good. You know, we all make mistakes. And now I go back, I was like, that was not a miscommunication. That's just called being stupid. All right? I just misread. It said, hey, I was planning on you speaking tomorrow night. I just didn't see the you. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what the problem with that was. I I just I just don't know. So here I am. I'm preaching tonight. And Kenny's preaching next Wednesday. So if you want to hear Kenny preach, it'll be next Wednesday, not me. Okay. So um so we're gonna be in Second Timothy tonight. And uh, just a little background on uh Second Timothy. This letter was written by Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. 
And see, the first Timothy, the first letter to Timothy and the book of Titus, if you've ever heard of that, Paul wrote that while he was in prison too, but when he was in prison, when he was writing first Timothy and Titus, he was not actually in a cell where they fed him prison food or didn't feed him at all. He was actually on like house arrest so that he could actually interact with people and write and do all these other kind of things. It wasn't legitimately prison. It was more like house arrest where he had some freedom, but he couldn't go out and preach the gospel. That was their way of kind of inhibiting him of reaching more people, yet he still continued on. He wrote and he visited people. He had people come over. He had church in his house, all that other kind of stuff. And so uh, he got out of, you know, house arrest or whatever. And then about five or six years later, uh, Nero, if you ever heard of him, and the emperor of Rome, uh, he did not like Christians. And so what he wanted to do was to kill all the Christians. And so what happened was is Paul, being kind of the leader of this whole thing, he put Paul into prison. And this time it wasn't house arrest. This time it wasn't just, you know, hey, you know, stop doing that. It was, you're going to be in a cell. It's going to be, it's going to be cold. You're not going to have much food. And their plan was to kill him and to execute him. And so that's what the context of writing in 2 Timothy is he knew that this was about to be his time. It's, it's soon. My time here on this earth is coming, and I have no hope of getting out of here, and so I'm going to die. So here's my last words to you, Timothy, my son in the faith. And so he, he tells Timothy, he was like, hey, I've heard of your great faith, and I'm telling you this out of a clear conscience, and, and I serve the Lord in a clear conscience, and, and I've heard of your great faith because you had the same faith as your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and, and I know that you have a great faith as well, and I know your faith is strong, and you're a strong leader. But he reminds Timothy, he says, hey, that flame that you used to have is just some embers now, and it's just smoking a little bit. So what he tells Timothy was to fan those embers back into a flame. He says, that spiritual gift God gave you of preaching, fan it back into a flame. Don't let it die. Don't let your passion for what you really love do, what God has called you to do. When God saved you by his grace, he gave you that gift, so don't let it die. He said, fan it back into a flame because God did not give you a spirit of fear and of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That is the spirit he has placed in us. And so tonight, before I get into the main passage, I just feel like I should say this, is that some of us in here have believed in Christ and we are set free from the chains of sin. But then again, we feel like we have been put in to chains by this world, just like Paul. He was free from sin. He was free from death and all that other stuff, but he had been put into a literal prison. And you may feel like tonight you are in a prison of your own. Maybe the people around you see Paul, while he was in prison, the people that were actually his followers that were helping him out, they all fled. They were like, no, no, no I don't want none of this. I don't want this stuff. If I'm going to be persecuted and I'm going to have to suffer for the cause of Christ, I don't want this. And so they fled. And, and maybe you tonight, you feel like some of the people that should be following Christ around you, maybe you feel like you're in a prison of your own and you just feel cold and dark and lonely and starving. 
spiritually. If that's you tonight, be strong. Because you're in there for a reason. You see, Paul died in this prison. He was never rescued from it, so to speak. But he was in there for a reason. And you know what? God got glory from him being in prison. Just like Kenny says, that we all have valleys and we all have mountaintops. We all go through those different times, but you don't learn the same thing in the valley as you do on the mountaintop. So be thankful for both of them. And so we're going to continue on. This is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 8 tonight. So he told Timothy, he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And in verse 8, he goes on to say, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. You see, what I think happened was that Timothy saw his father in the faith go to prison for the sake of Christ. And I think that he kind of stepped back in cowardness and he kind of stepped back and he was timid and fearful of this thing that he was a part of. And he saw his father, the one that he was looking to for strength and for guidance and for courage. And I'm going to follow this guy. And if, and if he's here, then I, I, I'm going I'm to be strong in that. And that's kind of where he got his security from. And it's kind of what I'm feeling like. And then whenever he got sent to prison, Timothy kind of took a step back and was like, whoa, hey, now it's on me to kind of do this on my own. And I don't really want to. So Paul was telling him, remember, fan that back into a flame. Don't let it just die out. Don't let the embers die. Don't let that smoke just be the only thing that's going there. Let there be a flame. And don't, God gave you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. He gave you that spirit. So don't be ashamed of telling others about the Lord. So never be ashamed of telling others about the Lord. Do you want a New Year's resolution? Maybe it shouldn't be to lose weight. Maybe it shouldn't be to eat healthier. Maybe it shouldn't be to, to do all these other things that you're doing to travel more. Maybe it shouldn't be to, to get a new job or to make more money. Maybe it shouldn't be all these things that we think about ourselves. Maybe it should be that you should never be ashamed of telling others about the Lord. Maybe it should be that God's Word become more of a priority in your life, actually the priority in your life. Maybe it should be that, that God's Word would penetrate your heart and you just pray that, that God's Word would, would infiltrate every single area and corner of your heart in the deepest, darkest places so that it could be out in the open, so that we could be free from all that sin and all the stuff that's in our heart that we don't let God have control of. Maybe it should be that we let God have control of our year of 2018 so we would never be ashamed of telling others about the Lord. So that while we're at work, we would not be ashamed. When's the last time you felt God calling you to tell this person or God calling you to start a conversation about Him, about His greatness, about how He died for, for you or how He died for them and how their sin can be forgiven? When's the last time you felt God calling you to do that, yet you kind of step back in timidity and of fear and you were ashamed of telling somebody else of how great God was and your excuse was is you don't want to push them away. You know, where are you going to push them to? You know, because if, if you don't tell them, they're going to go to hell. If you do tell them and they decide to go away, they're going to go to the same place. You know, so, but that's our excuse. That's really more of a cop-out. It's not really not the reason why we don't tell them. It's because we're ashamed of the greatness. That's because we're not secure in how great God is in our lives. When we are secure and we are confident in how great God is and how merciful He has been in our lives, when we are secure in that, 
and we are confident in that hope that we have, and we have a relationship with him to where I can tell somebody, if I have a best friend, and, and I'm with him every single day, and I know what he's like, I know what he eats, I know how his mannerisms, I know his favorite things to do, his hobbies, I know all of that, and somebody asked me about my best friend, I want to have something to say about him. So, well, what's his favorite color? I know his favorite color. You know, well, where does he, what does he like to do? What's his favorite thing to do? It's like, oh, I know, he likes to hunt. You know, like, I know these things about my best friend. Well, if we don't communicate with Jesus, if Jesus is not our priority, if Jesus is not in our lives on a regular basis, we're not confident in that, obviously we're going to be ashamed of him. We're not going to be able to confidently tell somebody else about him if we don't have him in our lives continually. That's just the bottom line. So he told Timothy, he said, never be ashamed of telling others about the Lord. And then he goes on to say, he says, and don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him. You see, I think that he was ashamed of Paul. See, ashamed of the Lord, then ashamed of Paul because, because Paul was in prison for the Lord. And because of his fear, and because he wanted to take a step back and, and be a coward at the moment, just kind of say, I, I'm scared of this, I'm fearful, and I don't know what to do, so I'm going to take a step back and not be full force in this gospel thing right now. Because when he, if he was backing Paul, and he was following Paul, that he could be put in prison for the same thing. But you see, he said, don't be ashamed of me either. Paul's saying, don't be ashamed of the message that I have preached. When somebody asks you about me, tell them what I said, and you back me too. When they ask you, hey, did this guy share the gospel and say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that he died so that others could be forgiven of their sin, that the way they're doing things right now is not the way, that the only way to heaven, the only way to follow after God and to know God is to know him through Christ and him crucified. It's like, is that, is that what he said? Yeah, and he's right. But see, that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of what I have said. You back me because God gave me that revelation. God gave me those words, so you back me too. Don't be ashamed of the Lord and don't be ashamed of me. So what about you? Are you ashamed of the Lord? And I'll tell you how you can know. When's the last time you shared the gospel? You don't have to have an evangel cube or a track. You know, you flip through on a page. It's all about your heart, though. If that's how you feel comfortable, see, David Platt did one time, he had a track, and he went to a lunch table, and he flipped through it and read it word for word. And he was sitting there with the guy, read it word for word, and just stuttered through it, and he did not know what he was really doing. He just knew, I want this guy to know Jesus. At the end of it, he read the question, do you want to have this too? And the guy was like, in fact, yeah, I, I do. I really want that. He was like, for real? He was just shocked. He was like, for what I just did? And the guy was like, yeah, I, I want that. What you just said, you know, I, I, Jesus loves me, and, I, and I, he died for my sin. I, I need my sin to be forgiven. He was completely convicted by, I mean, it was the heart behind it. But my question to you is, When's the last time you shared that? Where your heart just overflowed so that somebody else can know the grace and the mercy and the love and the peace and the comfort and just the fulfillment and satisfaction of the life of Jesus? When's the last time you did that? Because 
if you haven't, in a long time, I, I, I don't really have a time frame for you or anything. I'm just saying if you haven't, you're probably ashamed of him. And you may not know him. It says, With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. He said, be ready to suffer with me. That's a brother. If you want to know someone who's going to tell you the truth, it's your best friend, and that, and that person is going to tell you the truth, and he's going to tell it to you no matter how hard it is to hear. His son in the faith, this is someone he loves dearly. And he's crying, just longing for the next time he can see him. And he's writing this letter like, Timothy, please come visit me before I die. Before I breathe my last breath, please come visit me. And he's longing, he's crying in his prison cell, and he's longing for his brother, for his son in the faith to come visit him again. Yet he, he tells him such a truth as this, and he says, be ready to suffer. Be ready to suffer. Brothers and sisters, be ready to suffer for your faith. If you don't suffer, you don't have true faith. If you don't suffer, you don't have true faith. You mean to tell you why? Because your faith will overflow. Your life, your, your faith cannot be hidden if your life is truly changed by your faith in Christ. Because our life is new. You see, He saved us and called us to live a holy life. That's what the next verse says. Say, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. See, I've been wrestling with this, with this thought in my mind for a little while now. It's like, but God saved us and we have to do something. See, we don't do something so that he would save us, but he saved us and then we do something. You see, the love preceded the doing. You don't, you don't earn God's love. You don't earn God's uh, salvation, but you get that. And, and your love, his love for you and his salvation for you precedes everything you can do. But because he saved you, you go act. You go do. Go do something. He called us to live a holy life, one that's set apart, one that is different from others, one that is unique, one that looks like his because he is our holy father. He is our heavenly father. And when we are his children, we're going to act like our father. You see, what does a little kid do when he sees his dad stepping on the beach? Normal steps. The little kid is stretching out, just trying to stretch his legs, little legs as far as he can go, maybe even jumping a little bit just to try to follow in his father's footsteps before the, before the water comes and washes away. He wants to step with his father. And that's what we are supposed to do as followers of Christ. We are supposed to look like him as sons and daughters of God. We need to act like our holy and heavenly father. So we are to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Jesus said that. So he saved us, and we are also called to a holy life. And I was thinking about this. We're supposed to be salt and light to the earth. And when Jesus was telling that to, these, to this crowd in Matthew chapter 5, you see, he was telling them these things because there's bad salt and there's good salt. 
and there's light, and then there's people who have a light and then put a lampshade over it, a basket over it to cover the light. See, what I think he was trying to do was to tell us whether we are a true light or, or a false light, one that doesn't have a light at all. You see, Jesus is the true light, and he shines through us as his followers. His light shines through us. And there's good salt, and there's bad salt, salt that has lost its flavor, salt that has lost its purpose. You see, we're saved by God, and we are called to live a holy life. It's an and. It's not an or. It's both. You can't have one without the other. When you are saved by God, you live a holy life that he called you to. And it says this. This is, this is crazy. It says, it says, uh, and now he, it says, he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. He did this. He did what? He saved us and called us. He did this to show he did this as in he saved us and called us. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. He planned from, the begin, from before the beginning of time to call us to a holy life. And I just want to ask, I mean, just plain and simple, just as simple as I can put it without putting any kind of just description into there, are you living a holy life? And I think every one of us can answer that 100% honestly in our heads, in our hearts. We don't have to tell anybody else. But I think every single one of us knows the standard. I think God, and I think his word makes it clear that God has planted his law and his way in our heart. It's written on the tablet of our hearts so that we know, generally speaking, the standard of right and wrong. See, he placed that inside of us, and that's a conscience. See, when we, when we go against our conscience, when our conscience is broken, it bears witness, and it, it brings shame and guilt and, and fear into our lives. And I think every single one of us knows, based on our conscience, based on what God wrote on our heart, whether we're living a holy life or not. And I think that you can look at your life based on whether you live holy or not. You know, that's not talking about mistakes. I'm talking about living holy. I'm talking about being set apart. I'm talking about your faith. And I think that we can look at whether you live a holy life or not. I think we can completely say whether you are or are not a follower of Christ. You see, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He says it multiple times in John 14, 15, and in John 13, and in John 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he said in John 15 that if you are attached to him, then you will be living, that you will have fruit, that your life will show fruit of you being attached to Jesus. But if you are not attached to Jesus, you cannot produce any fruit at all. And he said, how do you stay attached? By obeying my commandments. What was his commandment? To love one another. I think that we can look at our life based on how holy we live and based upon that one commandment that he said, do you love each other? Do, how much do you love your neighbor? I think we can look at our life and truly tell whether we are a Christian or not. And I think that other people can too. I don't think that's just something that, you know, uh, I don't know, I don't know their heart, you know, uh, I can't judge them like that. I, I think that if you just look at somebody, generally speaking, and you look at what they do, I think you can tell. I, I don't think it's one of those, you know, hidden secret things. I think that if, 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 if someone were to ask you whether I'm a Christian or not, I think they would be able to tell you, yeah, yeah Keith's a Christian. I mean, y'all may not like me. I mean, you may not have, you have good things to say about me. I just think that y'all be able to say, yeah, Keith's a Christian. Not because I speak, but before I spoke, I think that people could say that I was a Christian. 
And I think that's true of everybody. Not just pastors, not just deacons, or not just small group leaders. I think that's true of everybody. So ask yourself that question honestly. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. What I think is crazy about this is he says, and now he has made all of this plain. I don't think it's very hard, guys. I really don't. I know some people that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they ain't got a clue what that looks like. If I told y'all I was an NFL football player, y'all would laugh at me. First of all, I weigh a buck 61. Okay, I, re- I passed 160. Finally, I weigh 161 pounds. I have 19 witnesses from winter camp. They saw it on the scale, 161 pounds. Y'all would still laugh at me, though, because, I mean, look, do I look like an NFL football player? Number one, do I have pads and a jersey on? Number two, do I go to the practices and work out with them? Number three, am I a part of an association that is an NFL football association? No, I am not. And I think that if I did not live the life of Christ, and if I didn't follow after what he said, and I said I'm a Christian, I think the same rule applies, that you can look at my life and say, "Uh, I don't think so, buddy, like, you know. You may want to be an NFL football player, but you're not. I mean, I hate to tell you, the truth is, but I think the same rule applies. I really do. We had a couple of kids at winter camp admit that they were not Christians. Think about that, guys. Think about that. There's kids who admitted the truth about the gospel and said, I am not a Christian. They know that that is the truth. They just have not surrendered to that and said, I want to follow that. There's grown men and women who know the truth who do not follow it and know they don't follow it and still don't admit it. I don't get it because you're ruining it for everybody else. For somebody to see you and think that you are a Christian because you claim to be a Christian, then they say, I look just like you. Apparently, I'm a Christian too. We don't need two of you. We don't need two of you. We need more people following Christ. You see, that's the difference between good salt and bad salt. you got a small pile of good salt. You put a lot of bad salt on it, it looks just like it. Hey, we don't need a lot of bad salt. We'd rather have the small pile of good salt and to put on my Lost Mex chips because it tastes good. You put bad salt on Lost Mex chips, it don't taste good. It doesn't serve the same purpose. We don't need two bad salts. We need more good salt. And I think that is very, very plain. And it says, it made this plain to us by the appearing of Christ, Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death by raising from the dead on his own power, by the way. That is our hope. Our hope. Wow, that was a big voice crack. And it illuminated the way to life and immortality through the goodness. He illuminated. He brought to light the way that we were supposed to live. The holy life that we were supposed to live. He brought that to light through his word, through the good news, through the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news. He brought that to light. I had somebody tell me the other day, uh, I told her, I was like, hey, you have a purpose. I have a purpose. God has shown me my purpose. God has told me that my life is supposed to glorify him. And I have this certain thing that I want to do for his glory. I don't know exactly what he wanted me to do. I just thought, hey, maybe I should do this for God's glory. So I'm going to go do it. I feel like that's my purpose. And she was like, I just wish that God would write me a letter and tell me my purpose. 
I was thinking, good Lord. I mean, what else do you want? This 66-book love letter. That happened to Cam, too. 66-book love letter right here. This is, a, this is a huge love letter to you, showing you your purpose, showing you your meaning, showing you who you were created from and, and where you came from and, and what your purpose is and what you're supposed to do day in and day out. He actually tells us not to worry about tomorrow. He's telling us step by step. Even Proverbs says that God guides our steps, so why worry about every step along the way? God guides it. It's amazing that we just look over this when God has made it plain to us how we get to live with him forever. It says, and immortality through the good news, you will live forever, people. Do you know what that's like? No, none of us knows what that's like. We can't even comprehend what forever means. We have a short period of time. We have 80 years on this earth if we're lucky. If you eat well and you don't get die in a car wreck, yeah, you, you, might, you might live past then. I don't know. But all I'm saying is you don't have forever. You don't know what being dead is like either. So you're going to be dead for a very long time. You're going to be dead for a very long time. Longer than you lived. That's crazy, huh? That's crazy to think about. You see, but when you have Christ, you see, he defeated death. When you believe in him, you too defeat death. But what is the point? Please tell me what the point is and saying you believe in Christ and not really believe in him. You're fake living. You're like a zombie. You pretend to be alive, but you're really not. You see, when you die, you're not going to fool me. You can fool all of us all day long. I don't care if you fool me. It really doesn't bother me whether you fool me or not. All I'm saying is you're going to die, and the person who judges your heart and knows you better than you know you, do you know how many hairs are on your head? Do you know? Some of you may know. You may have zero. But, I mean, I'm just saying, do you know how many hairs are on your head? God does. God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knew your name before your parents did. That is amazing to me, and he's going to judge your heart when you die. He created this whole world. He created you. He created your heart. He brought life. He put life and breath into your lungs, and he can take it away just like that. And when you die, he judges you. 